When I renovated a house, um, and when it was done, we went around uh, and inspected it. We had a look um, and saw if they'd followed the plans, if the builders had followed the instructions and everything was in working order. Um, and if you're from KPF or some sort of architectural firm, then actually the more important thing is, are they in line with the building codes? Are they compliant with building codes? And the reason that you do an inspection is because often something's wrong. Uh, often you need to go back and you need to get them to start again or fix it up. And I wonder, if, uh, I wonder what would happen if a building inspector came to Covent Garden. Uh, maybe not, not the cafe, but us uh, as a Christian gathering. Are we following God's instructions properly? Is everything in proper working order? Are we compliant with God's building codes? Will we pass? Will we be certified? Will we be pronounced fit? Uh, fit for doing gospel ministry? Now, we might find the idea of inspection a bit uncomfortable, but actually, as we look at the Bible, we see that the idea of inspection comes up frequently. James 2, uh, the evidence of our faith in Jesus will be good works. Uh, Romans 14, 12, uh, each of us will give an account of themselves to God. And then it's incredibly clear in our passage today, isn't it? Chapter 12, verse 5, uh, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And yes, it's true that we are Christians by grace, through faith alone. But it's also true that our faith is never alone. And that the root of our faith will be shown in the fruit of right living. Uh, and if you've been, in our, we've been with us in our series in 2 Corinthians, the big drive has been to get us to reorient our lives around authentic gospel ministry. And as we finish the series today, we finish with some self-examination. How are we doing? How are we doing? Well, that's the same question that was confronting the Corinthians in our reading today. As Paul aims in this letter to get wayward Christians back on track with authentic gospel ministry, he's coming for inspection, his third visit. And he wants his visit uh, to be pleasant, not painful like it was last time. He wants them to pass inspection when he comes. Uh, But Paul is afraid that they won't. He's afraid that he'll come and he'll find exposed wiring sticking out everywhere, leaks and mould, non-compliant, not fit for purpose. That's because, as we saw two weeks ago, they were embracing super apostles, false teachers. And then last week, they were rejecting the authentically weak gospel minister. And then this week, Paul is afraid that if they don't listen to him, they will not pass the test. And so as he uh, closes the letter, he writes urgently and he says, listen up, (coughs) we need to get you back on track as a Christian gathering. We need to get you back on track, fit for purpose, fit for doing new covenant ministry. He wants to restore them. 13 verse 9, restore them. And so he's going to do that. By firstly helping us to realise that he's actually not just an inspector, but a loving builder. And then he's going to get us to examine ourselves and then remind us that he's coming so we better shape up. And so firstly, we're on our first point there. To get the Corinthians back on track, Paul needs them to get that he is their inspector. He's not some cranky old schoolmaster uh, wagging a stick ready to cane the naughty pupil. 
No, Paul is an authentic apostle. That's 11 verses 11 to 13. Now, as the Corinthians have seen with their own eyes, Paul is God verified. Uh, They saw that through his utmost patience, his signs and wonders, his mighty works that he performed with them. But he's not just an authentic apostle certified. He's their loving builder. He loves them. Uh, Looking at verses 14 to 18, the issue of money comes up again. And the situation is that Paul is refusing to accept the Corinthians' money, and they've interpreted that as, he doesn't love us. They say he'll take money from other churches, but he won't take money from us. And so that must mean he's got something against us. He doesn't love us. But Paul says, no, don't you get it? Don't you get that it's because I love you that I didn't take your money? It's because he's the loving parent that you didn't rob his children. See, the loving parent refuses to take their children's pocket money, not because they don't love them, but because they do, so that they can go spend their money at the tuck shop. See, Paul loves this Christian gathering, and that is why he refuses to burden them by taking their money. Uh, But he's not just their loving parent, uh, he's their builder too. Let me read verse 19 of chapter 12. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. See, Paul defends his ministry, uh, last week as you saw, by boasting in his weakness, not as if he's on trial before the Corinthians, as if he's the former PM uh, in front of the uh, Parliamentary Privileges Committee. No, he's defending himself in the sight of God. Uh, But he's not only defending himself, he's not doing it for his own sake. He's not the CEO engaging Fleet Street so he can clear his name and unfreeze his stocks. No, Paul is defending himself for the Corinthians' own good. All for your upbuilding, beloved. And he defends himself because he loves them so that he can build them up. But here's the problem. Paul is coming to town to build up, but he's afraid. He's afraid that on inspection day, he'll find a house in ruins, a house divided. That's in verse 20. He's afraid that he's going to find quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He's afraid that he's going to find a house totally non-compliant with God's building codes, unrepentant, Refusing to stop what they're doing and do the 180. Verse 21. Impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality. At this point, it's worth stopping and pausing. You know, pondering. If Paul came to the UK, to our Christian gatherings, uh, what would he find? Uh, Would he find a house divided? A house unrepentant? Refusing to do the 180. But as we sum up what we've got to in the first point, well, Inspector Paul is actually Parent Paul. And think about this. Uh, Who are you most likely to take critical feedback from? Uh, The boss who has it in for you, who's secretly threatened by your incompetence, or by your competence? Uh, Or the boss who's for you, who's taken you under their wing, who wants your best, who wants you to progress? See, Paul's not just the nice boss, though. He's a parent. He's a loving builder. And so we ought to listen to him. 
so that we'd be a Christian gathering which is fit for purpose. The problem is if the Corinthians keep going their own way, um, refuse to stop their rebellion, well then we've got a bigger problem than we first realised and that's point number two. It's a bigger problem than we first realised. Let me read the start of verse, uh, chapter 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. So if, you refuse, now if we refuse to do the project that the partner has assigned to us, we are not just being a bad employee. We are questioning the partner's authority. We're testing them. Testing if they have the partner's power to kick us out. And that's what the Corinthians are doing. They are refu- by refusing to listen to Paul and repenting, doing the 180-degree turn, they are testing his authority. But it's not just his authority, it's Christ's authority. And they're testing Christ himself, which is dead dangerous, because that's messing with God's full power. As we learnt last week, uh, what appears weak, Jesus on the cross... Paul stuffed in a basket in Damascus. What appears weak is actually God's full one billion watt power made perfect. What appears weak is actually power. And so testing Christ, testing Paul, is dead dangerous. And we're not immune. It is a very real danger for us today as well. See, if the Lord Jesus speaks through his apostolic word which is just a fancy word for the new testament if we refuse to obey it we are not just rejecting the new testament or paul or peter or james we are rejecting christ himself and that is dead dangerous a test paul test jesus dead dangerous messing with power we don't understand but here's the thing Instead of testing Paul, instead of trying to verify him, Paul says, chapter 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul says to the Corinthians, stop getting all anti-corruption, AC12, if you watch Line of Duty, stop getting all anti-corruption on me and start investigating yourselves. Examine your own lives. Are you submitting to the word of the apostles, uh, the New Testament? Are we obeying God's word, the Bible? And I'm conscious that some of us will find this a bit more troubling than others. Remember, Paul is warning a church teetering on the edge of ruin, about to fall into disrepair, Christians refusing to repent, testing Christ. And Paul is not in the business uh, of beating up people mourning their sin, who have repented, who have done the 180-degree turn. As we saw at the start of Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, 
Paul says to people like that, comfort them. And if you're here and you're not yet trusting Jesus, and if you are mourning the horrible things you've thought or said or done, you are mourning and being truly sorry for all the ways you've rejected God, well then trusting Jesus means comfort. Comfort. But for those unrepentant, for those refusing to listen to the word of God, stubbornly ignoring God, Paul is only too happy to confront people like that. As my old pastor used to say, Paul is happy to comfort the afflicted, but afflict the comfortable. And the Corinthians, they needed this wake-up call. They needed this call to self-examination because their lives were totally mismatched. They said they were Arsenal fans, yet they cheered for Chelsea. They said they believed in Jesus, yet they refused to stop sleeping around. Uh, And while us here at Covent Garden, we might not be exactly as stubborn as the Corinthians, uh, we should all still hear God's word of warning today. Uh, Examine ourselves. Uh, Are we submitting to the authority of God's word, the Bible? Are we living in line with God's word? Do our lives show that? And if the answer is no, then tell someone. Ask for help. Ask for prayer. Turn back. Do the 180 degrees before it's too late. And we might be tempted to think that uh, Paul's worried about how the Corinthians behave because he's worried about how it reflects on him. Uh, That the team leader uh, berating their team, trying to pull them back in line because they're worried about how it will reflect on them. But that's not Paul. That's not why he cares. It's not about him. Verse 6 of chapter 13. I hope you'll find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Paul doesn't care how it reflects on him, really. He doesn't care if he looks weak or it looks like he's failed. He doesn't pray for his vindication. All he cares about, all he prays for is verse 7, that they do no wrong. Verse 9, that they'd be restored. Restoration. Now, the word restoration is used in the Gospels of mending nets, fishing nets. Restoration. It's not like some... A quaint medieval cottage being restored in the country, pretty to look at but unfit for modern living. And no, he wants nets, he wants sharpened tools, polished instruments, restored, fit for purpose, fit for doing new covenant ministry. And Paul wants us fit for purpose. And so he calls us to examine ourselves. The manager who cares about our progress will make us fill out the self-evaluation form properly. Will make us get the microscope out. It is because he cares about our restoration that he says, examine yourselves. He wants us fit for purpose, fit for doing gospel ministry. And so he finally reminds us, well, he's coming. It's time to shape up. We're on our third and final point there. Um, at the hospital I used to work at, uh, every year we'd have a uh, 
advance notice. We get advance notice of an annual inspection day, the day of accreditation, where the auditors decide if we're actually a hospital or not. And there was an immediate buzz of activity as soon as the notice hit the desk. Uh, records properly filed, broken equipment chucked out, people actually started washing their hands properly. Top tip, if you want to go to the hospital and not get sick, do it around accreditation day. And Paul gives advance notice of inspection day here. Chapter 13, verse 10. You're, for this reason, for this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you. That I, when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. And so Paul, the authentic apostle, the loving builder, he's coming. And he'll discipline yeah, if he needs to. It'll be painful, but it'll be for their good. Uh, if you've ever renovated or refurbished or restored something, well, then you know that sometimes it looks like demolition. Um, but it's actually all for building up. And this Christian gathering, they need to shape up. They need to shape up before he comes. And so how are they to shape up? Well, that's verses 11 to 13. Uh, by being united. Verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. In other words, stop being a house divided. With quarrelling, jealousy, anger, hostility. Instead, be united. Stop being at each other's throats. And instead, build up together. Be a building fit for purpose, fit for doing gospel ministry together. Paul's coming. Uh, but what about us uh, today? Uh, well, unless Paul discovered cryogenics before Walt Disney, he's not visiting us anytime soon. So what does it have to do with us? Well, actually, one of the commentaries was really helpful on this. Pointed out that Paul might not be visiting us, uh, Paul himself, but we do have a day of visitation. And it's the day of the Lord Jesus. And if we turn back all the way to the start of 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. Don't need to look it up now, but you can later. Verses, chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. We will see that the big thing that Paul is actually doing is getting Corinth, the Corinthians not ready, not just for his visit, uh, but for the day of the Lord Jesus. And as Christians... And we await the return, the visit, the day of the Lord Jesus. And so today, we have advance notice of inspection. We have Paul's warning to help us shape up, to be compliant with God's word. And so will we listen to God's apostle? Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. We are Christians, again, saved by grace through faith alone. But our faith is never alone. And so we ought to examine ourselves, according to the Apostle Paul. And as we wrap up uh, this talk and the series as a whole, if, as a Christian gathering at Covent Garden, we find ourselves fit for purpose, fit for doing gospel ministry, authentic gospel ministry, then the only question left is, are we in? Uh, will we do it? Will we reorient our lives around gospel ministry? 
I hope, uh, we hope, uh, that reading two Corinthians together has shown us that it is worth it. It is worth it. In 1983, Steve Jobs uh, approached then-President John Scully to come work for him at Apple. We might have heard the story before. And John Scully said no to Steve Jobs. And then Steve Jobs said to him, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? So embrace outwardly impressive but ultimately inauthentic and hollow ministry. Embrace a life lived only for ourselves, for our career. Embrace anything other than reorienting our whole lives around gospel ministry and according to God's word, we will miss out on God's power and the best we'll ever do sell sugar water that's what god's word says but embrace gospel ministry make your life's work in your workplace monday to friday and you'll change the world you will change the world speak of the grace of our lord jesus who though he was rich yet he made himself poor so that we might be rich and people will see the glory of god people will be reconciled to the living god God's grace will extend to more and more people in lands far beyond us. See, through us, God's weak vessels, cracked clay jars, God's power made perfect. God will change the world. And so the only question is, are you in? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great privilege of being able to be involved in gospel ministry. We pray that you be convincing us from your word to reorient our whole lives around it. Amen.